0: Welcome to Dishy Mix. I'm your host, Susan Bratton. And on today's show, you're going to get to meet Carrie Tillman. Carrie and I are in a mastermind business networking group together. And uh, I recently attended a mastermind in person gathering where Carrie did a presentation where she talked about her email marketing strategies and what she does to create a character that can sustain over years and years of connection with an ever-growing audience. So we're going to talk today about Sustaining relationships and building your characters in email marketing. And Carrie and I are going to share, uh, you know, we do things differently. Uh, she does some, some things in the same way I do and some things we do differently. And so I thought it would be a really interesting dialogue for you to think about because honestly, I see a lot of bad email marketing out there. I, you know, there's a lot of talk about, what email services to use and what are open rates and click-through rates and, you know, should you use HTML or plain text and blah, blah, blah. But no one's getting into the soul of the connection of the email marketing that people are doing. And I think Carrie's really doing a good job with that. Now, she started out in the high-tech sector. She had a market research company, so she's not new to marketing by any means. She brings a wealth of background and experience to this particular subject. Um, she started this new career path that I'm going to tell you about, filled with stories from her own dating life of being a single, career-minded, successful businesswoman who was tired of dating men who were intimidated by her successes and her drive. And so she entered the attraction and dating market for, for men. She founded FirstInHerMind.com in 2004 with a desire to help men recognize and to be able to keep a super high quality woman like Carrie in their life. She teaches men how to develop their confidence, identity, and sense of security so that they won't make the classy mistakes she's seen men make out there in the dating world. In her emails, she tells stories from her own life, from the lives of her friends and relatives, through her pen name, Shelley McMurtry. Her persona as Shelley is known to be sarcastic, direct, as well as controversial in times. Yet I personally find Carrie to be as smooth as silk and butter. So she's had years of loyal readers who've been with her since her very first emails where she's dated, utilized a lot of observational humor of the things she sees men doing, and she's told some pretty outrageous stories that could, as outrageous stories are, only be true. Now, Carrie thinks it's important for a character to be entertaining, controversial, and not afraid to make someone angry. So, in addition to fulfilling the role of her own character and running FirstInHerMind.com, Carrie also teaches others how to properly develop a character that will work for their business or practice and increase your profit margin and the long-term success of your business. So, what we're really talking about here are techniques for sustaining a relationship using email marketing, and we'll probably slop over into some copywriting here and there. So, let's get Carrie on the show and welcome her and find out all kinds of interesting things she's thinking about in building a character. Welcome, Carrie. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It sure is, darling. Thank you so much. So let's go through your list. Um, first of all, let's talk about, for first in her mind, uh, what's your frequency of mailing and how do you manage uh, writing your emails? Let's really just get a level set on that. What's the frequency and how do you do it?
1: Okay. Well, I started out originally focusing on two emails Per day. The first would be what I call a relationship building email, where it's free content. It might be a story from my life, something that gives the reader something to look forward to, that kind of gives them more of a connection to me and my character, Shelley McMurtry, something that's entertaining. In those what, well, I call them articles instead of emails, but of course they come, you know, via email. But in those articles, I'll have a couple of ads where, you know, it's not a direct pitch, but it's kind of a soft pitch that's set up more as a classified ad. But in you know, in addition to that, they're getting a lot of free content and entertainment as well. Then in the afternoons or later on in the day, sometimes even in the evening, I send out a direct pitch. And that is pretty much a direct, cold, hard pitch, click on this link, buy this, or whatever it may be. So at first I started with two. I still, for the most part, follow the two emails per day, Um foundation. But I've also added to that in that now I have a continuity program. Um, I actually have two continuity programs. One is uh, very low cost. Some people are even on there for free due to other products that they have purchased. So they get emailed occasionally, as well as my full continuity program, some people are getting emails through that. Then I have segmented lists. For instance, I have a list for men that are just over 50. So let's say that a man is over the age of 50 and he's on that list, but he's also what I call a gold hole man, which is my continuity program. He, was, If he's on my gold hole man, that means he's probably also on my silver hole man, Then, if he's also opted in to firstinhermind.com originally, then certain days he could get upwards of five emails from Shelly. Now, a lot of those emails are not direct pitches, of course, because of my continuity programs. Those will be content-filled, what I now call tidbits, versus doing larger newsletters like once a month. I think that it's more valuable to send out more frequent emails that are a little shorter and just give them what I am now calling tidbits. So my readers get a minimum of two emails per day and sometimes upwards of five emails per day depending on which list segments they're on as well as if they're in any of my continuity programs. As far as my content... I get that from everything that I'm around on a daily basis, everything that I've experienced in my life, things that I witness as I go about my daily activities. A lot of people ask me, you know, where do you get all your content from? How can you sit down and write that much each morning and have that many new things to say? And my response has always been, well, if you're alive and breathing, then you have content. Content is all around us. You just have to kind of develop the mentality muscle to recognize content and some things that might not even be direct content, but you can link them to content in some way, shape, or form. So to me, finding content is extremely easy.
0: All right. And I wanna um so one of the things Carrie and I decided to do on this particular episode of Dishy Mix is to just kind of compare and contrast the way we do things. So uh Carrie's just explained how she, she has guys uh segmented on different lists in different programs for her company. Uh that's the same thing that we do at Personal Life Media. We've got um many different products. We've got uh, people coming into sales funnels going through autoresponder series. Uh, so we do autoresponders, which are already pre-programmed to take them through a path of information. Maybe they've come on to one of our mailing lists about one of our products and we're educating them and teaching them and explaining how it works and giving them some samples of the product and then asking them for an order, making them offers for orders. Uh, but we also do broadcast emails. And those are emails we do fresh daily it's like daily fresh content now uh i only do broadcasts wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday i do 5 days a week i don't mail uh any broadcasts on monday and tuesday because um the data that I've seen in the marketplace looks to me like most unsubscribes come from Monday, Tuesday, especially Carrie and I are both sending out personal information and uh, people are busy focused on their work on Monday and Tuesdays if they do work. And so we found that we've lowered our unsubscribe rate based on uh, not mailing Mondays and Tuesdays. So a person could in our, in our database as well, they might be on two autoresponder series. Uh, you know, maybe they're a customer of one of our products, a prospect of another one of our products, and they're getting emails from us. So a person could get five emails a day from uh, personal life media from different brands and different characters as well, rather than just a single character. Um, and we definitely try to watch for that, but we also do these fresh broadcast emails every day. So I'm writing between, I'm writing between five and 10 emails a week because I'll also mail twice a day sometimes, but I'll mail them from different characters. So Susan Bratton would never send out two emails a day, but Susan and Tallulah would or Dr. Patty and Sloan would. And so we actually use multiple characters to mail multiple messages to even the same person in a single day. And then we'll take those broadcast messages and if there's anything that's evergreen content, we'll pull that out and we'll add that into an autoresponder loop. So a person might come in and go through one autoresponder series with, you know, 20 emails in it. They'll loop on to another autoresponder series that's more general about many of our products and services. When they're done with that, they'll loop on to the next one. So essentially, even as I'm writing broadcast emails every day or five days a week, uh, what I'm doing is adding to my back end evergreen content so that there are literally hundreds of emails that a person can go through so that they can, like you have done, Carrie, been with you since 2004. You know, year after year, you're just continuing to give them both fresh content and really high quality evergreen content in the form of what you call articles. So I do blog posts and I put some of the content in an email and then link to the blog post as a way for, uh, customers to kind of, to, to teach them that click to the, to the blog post. And, um, so that's our strategy as well. So we're very similar in that way. We'll mail multiple times a day. We work from one or more characters. We have autoresponders as well as, broadcast emails and we're constantly moving people forward through our funnels and our segmentation. So did you think I wrap that up pretty well? Yes, yes. Great. So, um, One of the other things that I want to talk to you about is um, who you write for and who you don't write for, because once you've created uh, a character, and we're going to get into that, you're really that character is in service to that target audience and what their needs and desires are. So I'd love to hear how you describe your target audience.
1: All right, the target audience that I really have gone for is the. Educated, mature man, the college graduate and above, um, really men that are in their earliest, late 20s, really more 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, some that are divorced that have already been married, others that have not been married yet but desire to get married, as well as men that are more interested in a long-term committed relationship versus one-night stands. Now, whenever you have a list like this, you're going to get a little bit of everything. It's hard to say, oh, I'm only going to have this or I'm only going to write towards this group of men. So, there's certain articles where Shelly, my character Shelly, throws in something that they may not necessarily be expecting Shelly to say or admit. And that kind of adds to the layers of Shelley's personality and to the entertainment value. But it can also then go towards the group of men that maybe Shelley doesn't talk to or talk you know, with as often. So you still can incorporate Other groups, other segments, even if they're smaller ones on your list. But for the most part, Shelley writes for men that are a little older, a little more mature, refined, and they really desire a long-term, stable relationship or marriage.
0: Perfect. And for me, I, uh, I have a similar target. Uh, mine is men in relationship who are 35 to 65. Uh, that's my target audience, also college educated. And so when a woman writes to me and she says, you know, uh, even though my name is Pat, <laughs> I'm a woman. Uh, how come you don't write to me as a woman? You know, I email her back and, uh, I get maybe one of those a week and I say, you know, our, our list is targeted to men. Our products are targeted. Targeted to men. And I would love and encourage you to stay on the list, but know that I don't write for women. I write for women. I'm in service to women, but I write through men. Uh, that's what I do. And, uh, they seem to be fine with that. I mean, if you're really clear about who your customer is, I think A, it helps you, it helps you create a deeper relationship. You're not trying to be all things to all people. You're very clear about who you're in service to. And then you can do better work for them. I think a lot of people get into trouble when they try to, uh, you know, they try to reach and talk to a too wide an audience. And I'll tell you, list segmentation for the average small business customer is very difficult. Uh, so, you know, w- w- the inbound lead and where they come in from is helpful. We have those segments, but trying to do back-end segmentation with a lot of these email uh, products is very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an example of, like for me, having also, you know, a mail list. I have one woman that has been on my list for several years, and she's stuck with it, and she loves reading the articles, and occasionally she sends her feedback mm-hmm. to either a reader's question or an article that I've written, and she's provided great material and insight, and so sometimes I share one of her emails, so it's just kind of added to the value in the content.
0: Absolutely. I think that's probably one of my, my best uh, techniques is uh, I have a lot of series of emails. Also, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, a whole series on something, and I'll put it in brackets. I'll give it a name. I'll say this: you know, you're going to get two. You're going to get ten insights into intimacy episodes with uh, Kaye and I talking about you know the ten biggest problems that men in relation long term relationship face, uh, or you know dousing your burning questions. Uh, readers send in questions, uh, and Tallulah and I answer them. Them, you know, that kind of thing. And so I like to do a series, and often I do, uh, at least once a week, a mailbag, uh, where I have one or more responses, uh, from someone who's using one of our programs and, uh, positive and or negative experiences and share those with my advice and then blog that as well. So I think, uh, the more that you can incorporate your, uh, your members, And make it feel like our group, which is one of your 10 techniques for sustaining relationship, the better off you are at making people feel like there's really a core group of people and something important happening because they're seeing the feedback from other members and they're realizing that they're not alone at all and that this is actually a very, very vital place for them to be.
1: Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, the the feeling of them feeling that they are part of a group and that they are a member of something and they're sharing and they're heard and others are sharing and they're heard is extremely, extremely important. Um And some of my best email campaigns that I've done have come through allowing various group members to share their opinions, to give their feedback, and then I share those in my email articles. And they can kind of go back and forth with one another indirectly, but it really gives them that feel that they are a member and they are heard and they are part of this group.
0: So let's go through your 10 techniques for sustaining a relationship using email marketing. And let's just consider that one number one, referring to readers as members and our group. I've started doing that since I heard you speak. And, uh, you know, it had always been in my mind that that's what they were. They were members and it was our group, but I really started being more, uh, more acute, more direct using that actual languaging. And now these are impossible things to track other than that. You know, if you get tons of feedback and people are, you've got really high open rates, which you do and I do, uh, You know we're on the right track because we're doing those things. So that's number one. Refer to readers as members and, cons- and talk about them being our group. Make it inclusive and make sure they feel like they're part of something, that it's a community, a vital community. What's the next of the 10 techniques that you use for sustaining a relationship?
1: Well, one that I think that's very important is to create your own vocabulary so that there's certain words that your character uses or certain names for things that your character will call upon whenever there is a reader that he or she wants to respond to in a certain manner. And they kind of can be corny. They can kind of be funny. Um, you want them to be a little lighthearted and not too serious, but still your group members know exactly what you're talking about or what type of person you're talking about when you use that term or that name. And that's extremely important. And it. it, it Important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it separates you as a marketer and a writer from other marketers and writers that they read. There are words that pretty much only you use, or names that you have for things that you've just created. That there are names that they know that you know you use, or like in my character Shelley uses. That's one reason why it's important. The other reason is that part of what you want to create with having members in a group is where they feel like they have the inside scoop. And long-term seasoned members know certain things and know certain terminology and vocabulary that's used that newer readers and members won't know. So it also helps to go back to that first point of building the feeling of a membership and a group in that the vocabulary terms and some of the um, wording that you use, seasoned readers will, of course, know about that and the background stories to some of those terms and names more so than a newer reader would. So creating your own vocabulary is very important. That's the next one.
0: All right. Um, what's the next one after that? Because I think that's pretty straightforward.
1: Okay. The next one I say is, um, you know, to have um, ongoing characters and friends that are often mentioned. Uh, like for instance, Shelley has a really good friend named Sandra. Now, Carrie, in my real life, I don't have a friend named Sandra. But Sandra, the character, is really comprised of several friends and women that I know that are very strong-willed women, and they're... Business savvy, they're extremely smart, and they've, like I've had, have had problems with men being intimidated by them, um, getting very sheepish and mousy around them when they find out that they're that she's a business owner or whatnot. So Sandra is really kind of comprised of a few friends that Carrie has in real life, but I tell a lot of stories through Sandra. Um, and over the t- over the years, you know, readers that have followed me know my friend Sandra, know Shelley's friend Sandra. I have another character that I use, my friend Haley. Now Haley is my wild, crazy, extremely sexual professor friend. She's a nutty professor. She's extremely smart, but she can go out and stay out all night and drink a good bit and she hooks up with men for one night stands she's a lot crazier than Shelley, is so she can tell some crazy stories that might actually lose some credibility if Shelly were to tell them from her own life but if she tells them through Haley Haley is just a wild nutty crazy professor friend and so Haley is a very fun character so there's different characters that I use that are Shelley's friends that where I can convey certain stories that may not be best for Shelley to tell directly herself because it could hurt my main character's credibility.
0: I do exactly the same thing. We have four different characters, uh, you know, they're they're real people and they're characters and they're our brands. And, uh, you know, Sloan can tell stories that Dr. Patty or Tallulah would never tell, you know, and Susan has to be very, very buttoned up and yet she shares her personal details. And so uh, we do that same thing. Now, thinking about a business-to-business brand, because so many of the people who listen to Dishy Mix are marketing, you know, much more straight-laced things than dating and relationship and personal information. How would you recommend, knowing what you know coming out of traditional marketing and market research, how would you recommend that someone take our advice about having ongoing characters and friends and uh, build that out into uh, more of a corporate business-to-business strategy?
1: Well, as far as doing it on a list, you know, you can even segment a list where different people who want to follow different characters can follow those characters individually and specifically if they choose. So you really can carry that forward and divide that and also add that, incorporate that into your segments. For instance, years back, she doesn't do it anymore, but I had a friend, um, her character name was Mary Jo Tyler. Her um, real name was very similar, but we changed it a little just for her own safety. And um, she kind of started doing work through the Shelley McMurtry list first and sharing reports and whatnot, and then she really wanted to kind of build her own business. She wanted it to be kind of on the side. She never wanted to do it full-time because she had other passions and other businesses, but we were able to build it out where people that wanted to just follow the stories of Mary Jo could go and opt in to her list. So you can really use characters to widen your list and your readership. You can market those characters individually. Where If let's say, like for Shelley, maybe my core is more for the older, more conservative man, But maybe I want to advertise in something, maybe a publication or on the website for younger men, maybe Haley would be the better character to advertise with for something like that. So you can use a lot of these characters depending on where you're advertising, what segments you want, and who you want to attract to various lists that you might have.
0: Yeah. And I think for a business to business strategy, uh, if you can get an editorial calendar going with a number of people in your organization and you've got, you know, engineering people, customer support people, your CEO, your VP of marketing, whomever it might be, anyone that can write a couple of times a year even can be someone mm-hmm. that you introduce and say look here's a, uh, I'm forwarding this for my CEO because I thought you'd really enjoy getting to know him or her better you know uh i think the forwards from other people in the organization can also be a nice way to keep your uh keep your list uh having a good idea that there are a lot of bright people within your particular company
1: Yes, and one, I was just going to add one point in that I I have known over the years one of the people that my list really likes hearing from because they hear about her quite a bit is my assistant, Mebe. And so occasionally, Mebe, not often, I really save this, I'm very conservative with this one, but I save it for like product promotions that are very close to my heart for someone I really care about. I know that if Mebe sends an email out because she does it so infrequently, the open rate is substantially higher, usually 40 to 50% higher, and I'll save that for be recommends this type promotion. And I use that sparingly, but they know that when they hear from me, it's going to be something new, something very interesting, and something they haven't been exposed to before.
0: Absolutely. So uh, we talked a little bit about also your number four uh, technique is occasionally doing a series of emails, part one, part two, part three. Yes. Um, What have you noticed uh, gets the highest open rates in serial emails. And uh, let's also, in this particular part of our conversation, talk a little bit about the soap opera sequence that Andre Chaperone has been using. Have you been doing things that are just individual one, two, threes? Are you doing soap operas with cliffhangers? What kinds of strategies have you used that you can tell in a finite way have worked better to increase the performance of your marketing?
1: Well, really, I've tried all of the above. I have done just kind of the basic email to email. Now, one thing, and we'll get to this in a little bit, one thing that's very important if you're doing, especially as I do daily emails, is to keep them current so that they know that they're live and they have anything in it, even if it's just one simple sentence that lets them know that you're writing it that morning. Maybe it's a breaking news event or something. We'll get to that in a little bit. But as far as soap opera sequences, those work really well, and I've written several of those, and I incorporate that as well in my daily articles, and I've done series of articles up to like 20-something, 20, 20 30-something parts We're at the end of each one, it's to be continued, to be continued. So they get... You know, accustomed to following those. Now, in between, whenever I'm doing one of those to my main list, I send out other articles and other items as well. I may only do one part of that series like two or three times a week so that they never know when the next part is coming. They're always opening their emails. They're always looking and it keeps them very active. So, I think doing all of the above is important. Having the soap opera sequences on the side but also incorporating the same psychology in your normal article writing, your day-to-day writing.
0: Yeah. Uh, what I've been doing, so you're, you, you actually pen your emails on a daily basis. Um, I don't do that. What I do is I have a deadline every Monday night to get, uh, all of my emails, five to 10 emails completely written and delivered to the person that works with us, who, uh, puts them into our email system. Cause that's a very laborious process. And, um, the way that I do it is I think about what I, I, I try to have, uh, some, I try to balance things. One, I have some themes. Uh, sometimes I'll do a theme week. Uh, other times I have a couple of different series that are happening concurrently, you know, like maybe I have a mailbag series and an audio interview series and a, you know, series on something else. And each week they get one of those. So those go in and out of my autoresponder sequences. Um, and then I also have the, the desire to get people to open more of the emails i send them and so i try to use uh future pacing i let them know something that's coming uh so Mm -hmm. look look for an email tomorrow about you know this and i put that right in the body of the email about the thing i'm writing today um So what I'm trying to do is tell them about things that are coming up by writing them in a sequence. I also try, instead of doing, I haven't done a lot of cliffhangers specifically, but what I have done is portend what's coming and or create series that once you read all three or all five or all 10, you get a deep dive into a subject. I'm also Mm -hmm. using a lot of P.S.'s where I will have a main article as you like to call it. And I like your nomenclature with something that says, and tomorrow or later this week, this is coming. But I've also started putting in the P.S.'s links to a couple of things that have already happened in the past and even some things that are happening in the future, uh, that, that they get early because they opened that email. You know, they don't have to wait until next Thursday to get it or Sunday to get it. It's right there as a PS. This is coming out to everyone on Sunday, but here it is, this, you know, today for you. So, uh, I worry sometimes that I have too many links in my emails. But I also think, well, you know, if a, if you're only getting a five to maybe 30% open rate on your emails and 30 is like, uh, you know, pretty much only when I do like the most, the things people like the very, very most on my list, which are usually pictures. (laughs) Um, and we're going to talk about pictures. Um, I, I want to balance trying to find something they want to click on in that email without, putting too many links and then they get overwhelmed by how much I'm asking them to do in the email. And I'm not sure I hit that balance all the time. Uh, I, I can live at a high level of imper- imperfection. <laughs> Because I have to, because I have a high level of imperfection. But I just, uh, in in talking about that, the series and the links and the soap operas and, you know, threading things together so that you're getting them really engaged, uh, if you have any additional wisdom based on what I've just described to you, I'd like to hear it.
1: Yes. I, um, number one, as you said, pictures are big, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I... I've never been too concerned about putting too many links in an email or, as I call them, articles. I have found that many times, and I see this when orders come in, many times in my daily relationship-building articles, I'll have a few classified ads in there. I'll have an ad in the PS or something. And a good percentage of the time, if someone, especially a newer buyer, comes in and has never seen one of those products before, if they're hungry for products, they will buy not only one of those, but a couple of them. And you'll see in different order forms, you know, their name come up a couple of times where they bought not only one product from that email, but a couple of products from that email. So I'm, I'm not real hesitant as far as how many links I put in an email. I think you can over load it to an extent, but I normally have one at the very beginning, which is usually one of the best converting ones before the article starts. Then I'll have one at the tail end of the article, sometimes one in the middle of the article, and then I'll have one or two in PS And I do the same thing as you do where sometimes I leave it with another PS that says, if you want a peek of this, you know, that's coming out on such and such day, go here now. And I use a lot more cliffhangers, though, and to be continued soap opera sequences as far as getting them ready to um, open the next article and preparing them for that. If I, you know, what I do... I enjoy writing every single day, and that, it's a little different than from how most people approach it, but I really enjoy writing every single day. When I started this, I hated it. It was like trying to pull teeth for me to sit down and think about what to write, how to write it, get my thoughts in order, then type it out. It Literally, I could sit in front of the computer two hours without a thought in my mind. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. But over time, it got where I enjoyed writing the articles. And now, I really, even if I take a vacation and I cue articles in advance, which I do occasionally... I feel lost. I mean, I really like my routine of being able to get up, have my espresso, then sit down and write an article. I just love it. For some reason, it's almost like my therapy. And... So a lot of times, though, what I will do is I'll have ideas for articles now long before I write them. So I may sit down on Sunday evening or something, and I might kind of just drop myself notes of this is what I want to write Monday, Oh, on Tuesday I want to write about the segment I saw on 60 Minutes. I, I may write, you know, whatever my thoughts are for articles. So then on Monday when I write that article... In the PS, or towards the end, I can say, tomorrow we're going to talk about such-and-such-such, which I got the idea from... I'm watching 60 Minutes, whatnot, And then I might even give them the link to that clip because it's very important to share gifts with them and freebies with them where they click on links and it's not always a sales pitch where you share everything from music with them. It could be some corny YouTube video, um, even a segment that you saw on TV or a website. You definitely want links in there occasionally that, aren't always to sales pitches, but just to free content that you're sharing with them or passing along.
0: Yeah, ultimately, and let's go to sharing real life pictures. Uh, what you're really trying to do is connect at a human level with your customers that you can certainly ask them for orders and tell them why you think it would benefit their life to try your products. But ultimately you're also their cheerleader, their advocate and their friend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So number five,
1: and, and they're, part of the family yes yeah and number five is yes share real life pictures even of everyday events I've tested a lot of pictures I've tested kind of showing my sexier friends when we're out in public I've tested um I've tested things since I live on an equestrian center, I've te- I've tested kind of horse related pictures and women. I I've, I've just I've done kind of a whole gamut of pictures that I could possibly try. And it's funny, i found that a lot of readers like the pictures that just come from honest everyday life. Of all pictures I've sent out, one of the ones that got the most positive feedback and response was a picture of my cat Zora curled up in one of my flower pots. You know, basically crushing some of the flowers I had just planted. You know, but she looked so cute and comfortable, and I just happened to take a picture and I sent it out. And. I got incredible feedback and I think the reason for that is is that it looks real. It looks like Shelley really is sharing something from her true life and it applied to them and maybe something they you know even subconsciously made them happy in their past or maybe it made them think of something or remember something who knows but it was amazing how the Corny picture of a cat in a flower pot got that big of a response, yet I've sent out pictures of, like, my more attractive friends and pictures of me going about daily activities. And while those get good response, a good response, sometimes it's the dorkiest, goofiest picture of just an everyday Event that gets the best response now going back to my nomenclature and vocabulary one thing that I talk about and I just I kind of coined this a while back is I have what's my big chihuahua award and I think I went over this when I was doing the presentation that you heard and I have a picture of this chihuahua statue that was in my garden that one of the cats managed to knock over and break the tail off of and it kind of left this Hole on its rear end. Anyhow, occasionally I will send that picture out and it's the Big Chihuahua Hole Award. For if I saw a man doing something in public and throwing kind of a temper tantrum with his girlfriend or doing something that was highly unattractive and goofy, I'll tell the story, then I'll put that funny picture of the Chihuahua statue with the kind of hole on its butt in the email. Everyone laughs at it. Yes, it's corny. But they know that Shelley will give the Big Chihuahua Hole Award to a man that isn't doing what he should be with women or isn't demonstrating attractive qualities, and they kind of follow it, and they know that. And so it's pictures like that. They're kind of funny. They're of everyday events. Um, You know, a while back, I shared one. We have some what's known as monk parakeets, which is basically a small green parrot that comes to the equestrian center. And one day, I came home from lunch, and they were around the bird feeder. So I snuck out of my car and got close and um, focused in on my camera and took a picture of them, and I shared it the next day. And it was amazing how much feedback I got from that. So, you know, sometimes it can be your everyday picture, something you just happen to come across, something that's in your own backyard, and they love it because it seems real and like you're sharing your real life with them.
0: Yeah, I think in business we get uh, afraid to be funny and silly and personal and send pictures of parrots and chihuahuas and... That's what people like. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so in encouraging my listeners to bring some fun little reality into your email marketing, people love Easter eggs and bluebirds and apple pie. And you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't always need right. to be so darn serious, does it?
1: Right, and you're right, because so many people are intimidated to do that. Not many do. Therefore, if you're a character that does that, right there, you're going to kind of separate yourself from many of the others.
0: Definitely. Now, uh, we've got to go a little faster through the last five. Okay. So let's, um, let's take number six, and what is number six of your ten techniques for sustaining relationships?
1: Okay, I say regularly shock your readers okay say something that they wouldn't assume your character would say um or something that your character wouldn't normally do it doesn't have to be completely off the wall but something you know maybe be a little harder on a subject than they would you know assume you would be or maybe go out and let's say in real life because a lot of what Shelley talks about happens in Carrie's real life or Carrie witnesses or something. So maybe, you know, if I, let's just say I happen to go out with a group of friends, it lasts a little longer than I think it will, we get into some pretty funny, comical subjects, and maybe I end up being a little goofier than I would normally or a little more opinionated than I would normally on a particular subject. Then the next morning, I might write an article, and I might incorporate that from the Shelly character, and I might tell the story of what happened or what was discussed or the opinion that now I will say that Shelly said, and it may be a little shocking to them. It may be a little controversial. It may be something that they didn't really anticipate that I would say or do, but it keeps them on their toes. It keeps them interested.
0: Yeah, it's always hard from a business perspective to do that. Um, And and, um, one of the so let's see, I really think um number seven, frequent controversial remarks is similar to regularly shocking them. And number eight is a continuous look into Shelley's world with pictures, story, sharing and resources, which is like sharing real life pictures, right? So yes. I want to move yeah. to this steady stream of truly free gifts. Um and I want to talk about that because, uh, the things that we can give away in email are, uh, audio clips, video clips, free ebooks, or simply some really great insightful content. Um, mm-hmm. especially, uh, something maybe like an exercise or a thought process or an actionable nugget that they can apply today to their business or their life or whatever it might be um what other kinds of things besides that have you been able to find to give away for free or is that really like what we have to work with yes that's
1: what we have to work with to an extent the other option is to hold contests contests are very powerful because they get your readers involved They, it makes them active. So you might give out, let's say you find, it can be a, some funny t-shirt you find even when you're on vacation. Okay. So maybe you'll say, you know, I went to Key West this weekend. You know, normally I don't like goofy tourist T-shirts, but I found this one. I thought it was so funny. I picked up five of them. And you hold a contest, and for the five winners, they get one of these T-shirts. So you can take a picture of the T-shirt, send it out in an email, state whatever your contest is going to be and how it's going to be judged, and then your readers get involved, and they can win a T-shirt. No, it's not a free gift for everyone, but certain ones will get the gift. And so, yes, you can also do gifts through contests and giving things away for someone that either, you know, is able to answer a question correctly or sends them the best email um, for whatever you're asking them to do, whatnot. But contests are very powerful. When I was traveling on a road trip a while back, I did Where in the World is Shelly? And they had to guess along the way where Shelly was. Shelly would send out hints. And then along the way, there were prizes that they would be sent if they guessed where Shelley was in time. So that's another way of, you know, delivering free gifts that also gets them involved even more.
0: I like it. That's a great idea. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if I give away so much free content that they have no need to actually buy anything from me. Uh, there's definitely a balance to be struck. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm overcompensating. I think I'm giving away too many great things that are so rich that, uh, I should really be selling them. But you know how hard it is to sell every little thing you have. And so, um, I wonder what is it that's working for you when you're actually trying to sell them, sell your list something. How do you go about doing that? Do you use scarcity? Do you have a time frame? Do you have a special sale? Like what things work when you have a very active customer base and you want them to purchase your products or products from other people?
1: Well, of course, the scarcity always works. The very limited quantities or time frame, that's always a good promotion to use. Um, I'll tell you one thing that goes kind of right back to where you were talking about, um, do I give away too much for free and do I leave them not necessarily needing to buy anything from that point? One of the simplest, easiest sales Well, it's not really a sales pitch. It's basically a soft pitch that I have found that I'm using, especially to sell a lot of my smaller products now, is I've taken like the first section or maybe one of the harder-hitting sections of my smaller guides and reports. I put it on a web page. Yes, they get that percentage of that product or that report, whatever it is, for free. And then at the bottom, they're asked to buy the rest of it, to continue reading Pay such and such for this and order here. And those tend to be on my smaller products, some of my best sellers. A, you're still giving them a free gift. They feel like they've gotten some content and value for free, but then they're asked to buy. And so it's a very soft pitch, but I've done some of those that have been wildly successful. And it's not done with as much scarcity. It's not done as much with there's only 50 of these available or, you know, whatever, you know, quantity you might assign to it. It's just here's the free part. If you want the rest of it, pay X amount, here you go. And it's been amazing how well that has worked for me.
0: What about uh, subject lines? What have you noticed works now that didn't used to work? Or what do people think works that you don't think works anymore? Because I definitely feel like it's always an arms race with customers and really trying to get them to prioritize opening your emails over the millions of other things that take their time and attention.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I found that especially like new video, free video, for some reason video, I think because so many marketers have used that over the years, that's just kind of like, oh great, another sales video. However, I have not seen as much of a difference in my open rate if I put picture on it a lot of times picture increases the opening rate they still love pictures I think too but for me is that they know usually when I say picture that there's a picture directly in that email as because I send out so many intriguing and interesting pictures they want to know what the next picture is going to be so for me picture works I have heard other people say that picture does not work in their email subject line as well um In addition, I try to come up with the funny words and kind of goofy titles, things that are kind of mysterious to them, and they just have to open it to know what it's about. I see a lot of people kind of telling the whole gist of their article or what they're going to write about in the subject alone. So if the person isn't interested in that particular subject, they're not even going to open the email. They're just going to hit delete. So you need to leave it open enough and mysterious enough where they don't know if it applies to them or not, but they've got to open it to see if it might. Um, I think that's very important. I, I think that a lot of people actually put too much information in their subject lines when they actually should be... It a little more open and mysterious.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like to use mystique. Mm-hmm. That probably mm-hmm. appeals I, to you.
1: Yeah, and I try. You know, I try. Especially if I have something that's a word that I use, I'll put it in, like, quotation marks. I'll do certain things to make certain words stand out. I might put a star around um, a certain word, things that kind of make your subject line stand out. Um, On certain keywords, I capitalize them a lot of times and that doesn't affect your spam rating as much. Of course, if you use too many exclamation points or question marks, certain things like that, that will affect your, um, your scam, your spam score. And then, um, and then, you know, of course, you have to worry about deliverability and everything else. But if you get creative on your titles, you don't have to worry about that as much. And you can have just completely eye-opening, goofy, you know, titles that just make them want to click that, that email and see what it's about.
0: Absolutely. And the open rate is the subject line is is the most important thing. I mean, if you can get them to open the email, you can likely get them engaged. Uh, the other thing that you said, you know, you use a lot of pictures. I, I put an image in every single email. Uh, so all my emails go out with images, not one without it. I think that for people who are visual. They really appreciate having an image that connects in with the subject matter. I also personally just really enjoy selecting the images. You know, I have a 123rf.com subscription and I just, I have a massive amount of images that I've collected over the years that are my own and I take a lot of pictures and things like that as well. And I, uh, I think that also increases it. So, uh, good, mis- good mystique, offering pictures, uh, consistency of, uh, connection, always being there for them, sharing your personal life. Uh, these are all great things that I think in many cases, business to business email marketers are not doing. And they can take, uh, a really good page out of your book, Carrie uh and have more success higher open rates and increased conversions by being more themselves and definitely social media has opened us up to the fact that we are both workers and individuals and that there's a way that we can be followed if you will and have you know fans friends subscribers and followers and reveal ourselves to our prospects and our customers and I really appreciate you coming on the show today to talk about how you do it and for us to dialogue about how we both do it a little differently. But you know, we're pretty similar and there are people who, if, if, if I don't send, I didn't send out an email over 10 days during Christmas. I just took the time off. I didn't do any broadcasts. You only got my autoresponders. And I get so many emails from people saying, where are my emails? <laughs> you know, yeah. they, yeah. they become, I mean, if as a brand, If your customers are waiting to get your emails, you're doing something right. And mm-hmm. and they're buying and you're making money on your email marketing. Because I know you also, and this is the last thing that I want to talk about, you do also do affiliate offers. So you're not always just promoting your own programs and products. You're also, well, you've promoted for me and uh you know, I've I think I've promoted for you, and if I haven't, I will, darling. Um, you know, we we promote for each other in our marketplace, we find products and programs on Clickbank, etc. How do you decide what what to promote, how frequently are you promoting affiliate offers, and what is your general thinking about it? Are you feeling more or less positive about it? You know, just give me your whole kind of strategy on that.
1: I'm feeling more positive about it. You know, um, Over the years, I definitely have. There's some great affiliate m- products out there. There's some great marketers and very intelligent people that are coming up with great products. I do not feel, I have come to the firm conclusion after doing this for a number of years now, that offering an affiliate product is not going to take away from your own sales, from your own products. I just, I don't think that there's a way you can necessarily lose with affiliate offers. And I think too many people look at it and they say, you know i I sent this email out for this affiliate, and his sales letter or her sales letter just didn't convert it didn't do well to my list and you know this is the thing it may not do well to your list now. I send out a lot of affiliate offers that just bomb I mean completely bomb, but you know w- w- With the right list, one day it might do okay at a different time and place. Sometimes products do better at a certain season or holiday. I've kind of learned over the years what does better during which time of the year into which list segment. You kind of learn that through trial and error. Um, I also feel that I promote for a lot of people that have smaller lists and I trade promotions and I say, okay, I'm going to promote for you if you promote for me. Now, I know I'm going to sell a lot more of their units um, or their product than they'll be able to sell of mine because their list isn't as big. But you know what? We all start somewhere. And if I can you know, form a good relationship with someone that's just entering the market when their list is small, that person's going to have a lot of credibility with you and a lot of respect for you. Later down the line, when maybe their list is quite substantial, so I don't think you can lose with affiliate offers, even if the person you're promoting for doesn't have as near as big of a list as you do, or maybe their product doesn't convert as well during a certain time of year or whatever it may be. Um, you know, it's all it's all bottom line, and whatever you can do profit wise to add to that bottom line, you're just going to increase your overall yearly or annual income. So I just think that doing the affiliate side of it can be rewarding professionally, personally, and financially. And I don't think you're going to do much that's wrong within that.
0: I agree with you. I I promote for as many people as I possibly can. I reach out to people and say, I'd love to promote whatever offers Converting Well for You, as long as I like the product, as long as I think my list will enjoy it, and there will be people who are served positively from becoming aware of a product or program. And I like to expand out beyond my own niche, which is sensual communication and technique for men in relationship. And I like to talk to them about everything from, you know, optimal health to, uh, you know, personal growth to creating meaning in their life to whatever it might be. So I have a wide range of products that I like to promote. I like to support people. Uh, if their offer doesn't convert, it teaches me about my list what they mm-hmm. like and what they don't. And um, I, I, I really enjoy helping others as well. And when I find one that does work well for my list, I really learn a lot about mm-hmm. that. I look at their sales page, their message, their marketing, what the product was, what the price point was. I just recently promoted Revolutionary Sex by Alex Allman. And it really was one of the best promotions that I've ever done. Earnings per click on that mailing were very high. I promoted it three or four times, just once with its own email, and then I included it in as a link, you know, a small link in a number of other emails over the course of two weeks. And because uh, I had a sense, I, he's a very high quality person. I like him. I've, in, I've integrated him into some of my own programs as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm behind him 100% in his work and his product converted well to my list. So I'll go back to him and say, what else do you have that worked well? And I'll really study what he's done because obviously whatever he's doing is working for the kind of people that I attract. So I think you can, you can help people out by mailing for them and getting them a few sales. They, and then when you go out and you say, Hey, I'm looking for some, some people who want to do reciprocal mailings for me this month and next, you know, tell me what your offers are. I'm planning my strategy and, you know, let me tell you what I have that you might be able to promote to your list. And people, they, you know, they, they're like, yeah, I'll promote for you. Of course I will. And I love reciprocal mailings. And so I think for business to business, there are also, if you're really doing this, as a relationship building exercise, you have to get your head out of your own brand butt and you have to think about what are the other things that are out in the marketplace that complement my product or service that I could also bring to my customers? How can I help them with anything from WordPress plugins to iPhone apps to new technology to whatever conferences they might be interested in? Just getting up uh, to a higher level of thinking about what you're doing here which is you're in service and support for this niche that you you know that you live in and how do you get All a right. bigger picture there and i think that information product marketers like you and like i we naturally do that we think about how to market and cross promote other products and services where a brand might think that's off limits for them. And if you approach it as a, a service rather than as, you know, just trying to make money off of people, uh, it can be very valuable for your business, a small, medium or large. Don't you agree?
1: Yes. And let me add this, you know, of all things to promote to a male attraction dating list, Earlier in um, kind of the early part of 2011, I promoted just on a whim, just tried it out, a product on how to build your own solar panels. Now, it wasn't the best-selling product I've ever done, but I was surprised. That thing sold quite a few units. The sales pitch was good. They were interested in it. And here's a list for men that are predominantly interested in attraction and dating and, you know, sexuality, and they're buying a product on how to make solo panels. So sometimes you can really take a dare and sell a product that may have nothing directly to do with your list, but um, they sell it. It's uh, They buy it. It's something they're interested in. I've also sold a lot of how to make money online type products through my relationship dating list. So sometimes you can even kind of go outside of your market and even go beyond just overall self-improvement, self-help, and do something entirely different, and you'll be surprised at how well it sells.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, uh if you ca- if you take that advocacy perspective, I think that's the way. Now, uh you have a character building foundation document that you use to help people figure out what their character is and how they're going to position themselves in their email. Are you uh okay giving that to our Dishy Mix listeners? Yeah, sure, sure. And how would you like to do it? Because I forgot to ask you about this before we got on to do our show today. Would you like me to give them your email address and they can email you? Or would you like them to comment on the Dishy Mix fan page and in Facebook and then you can send it to them that way? What would work best for you?
1: Uh, I guess what I could do is I could even just send you the PDF and you can post it somewhere.
0: All right, that's what I will do then. If you
1: would
0: like. Yeah, I'll post it. If you think that would work. Yeah, I think people would appreciate that. I'll post it on my blog and I'll put a link on the Dishy Mix fan page for it as well. So if you would like to have the character building foundation document from Carrie, then, uh, just go to the, just go to Facebook, search for Dishy Mix and, uh, you will, uh, be able to, uh, find the link there. Uh, so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your strategies and your hard earned experiences with us. Um, if you would like to follow Carrie, you can go to firstinhermind.com and sign up and get on her email list and check out how she does it all. And uh, if you'd like to be on my email list for my consumer facing products, you can just go to uh, for, for me personally, you could go to reviveherdrive.com or you could go to foxysloan.com and you could sign up for Sloan's list as well. Those are two great ways to get started getting a sense of how Carrie and I do our email advocacy and character connection relationship marketing strategies. <laughs> that was a mouthful, wasn't it, Carrie? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I had fun. Good. I'm glad. Me too. Uh, This has been another episode of Dishy Mix. Tell your friends and like my Facebook fan page and keep tuning in. I love having you as a part of my life. Thank you again so much. Make it a great day, and I'll see you on the next episode. Take care.